Welcome back, listeners, to Yeah Aha with Lisa and Phil and our frequent flyer guest, Aaron from California. Boy, your arms must be tired. Howdy. This week, we're talking to J.V. Hilliard, Hilliard. a.k.a. Joe. Yep. Author (laughs) of The Last Keeper, the first of the Warminster series, a science fiction, more fantasy, but some science fiction, just enough to keep the uh, more tech view uh tech fans of this type of book yeah. uh going uh, if you read nothing else read his bio it is really terrific <laughs> it is completely accurate and yet yeah yeah it's a, so it's, it's definitely a work of, uh, if nothing else read the bio it'll give you an idea of who he is it's a work of literature and on the bio, the bio will pull you in and you'll have to go oh, yes. buy the book mm-hmm. right yeah this this was a good conversation i think because yeah. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, you lift a lid on someone's life, you find out that he's a, a lobbyist, a Washington mm-hmm. lobbyist, and we find out a little bit more about what that is. Mm-hmm. We find out that um, he's a, a Pittsburgh native and, um, you know, in some mm-hmm. some ways, uh, I'm not going to say an enemy, <laughs> <laughs> but he, he poked, I mean, we, he poked we, the bear a couple times. We made a point of forgiving each other for our uh, football fandom. Yeah. Aaron accepted, of course. All in fun. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I forgave the uh, being pulled across Three River Stadium parking lot and have my right. hat and banner set on fire. He didn't do it. You find out what a hypocycloid is. Right. So- now we know what to call that. Mm-hmm. Ugly, atrocious mm-hmm. emblem <laughs> plastered on the side of the pitch black. I don't think it's at all helmets. ugly. I like those little star-shaped things. Mm. The rest of it could go, <laughs> but the star-shaped things are kind of cute. Yeah. Well, maybe you know we were talking about this the other day. Maybe they should resort to the bumblebee suits. Mm. You know, mm. but that would be kind of hilarious. And extend at that to the helmets. At which point, I want antennas on the helmets. Well, welcome, so. Joe. Yep, and thank you uh, for joining us. You play Magic: The Gathering. I used to. It was it was when Wizards of the Coast bought TSR, and a lot of the middle editions of Dungeons and Dragons started taking on traits from Magic. Mm-hmm. You know, I started to play just to learn what Wizards of the Coast was trying to insinuate into the next generations of the game. They've kind of gotten away from it. The games now at like a fifth edition that. Uh, it's a little different, but as a card game and as a strategy game, it was a lot of fun. I don't play it uh, uh, anymore, but it was it was something I did for a while there back in the early 2000s, mid 2000s or whatever, when it really became super right. popular. Not that it's not popular now. When I walk into any kind of like comic store or any kind of, uh, you know, store, they, they all have tables where people come in and, and just play and they have tournaments pretty much every week. So, you know, I know it's incredibly popular. Right. Um, I've always just enjoyed the tabletop or the role-playing games more than the than the card games, but nothing against them. I've played them and I like them. In fact, some of those cards are they'll pay thousands of dollars for some of those cards. They, they will. Some of them yeah, are out of print kind and, of ridiculous. And rare and things like that. They're just like I look I liken them to any other kind of sports collectible, right? Like you collect a baseball card, you know, it's still a piece of cardboard with a picture on it, but it has value to somebody, especially in rarity. Right. My friends tried to get me involved. Uh we have a rotisserie baseball league that we've talked about. One and of the oldest rotisserie baseball leagues in the country. Yeah. Philip has been a member. In fact, 90% of the people in the league have been members since they were in high school. 
But anyway, well, all these in our hell, because he still calls it rotisserie, doesn't call it fantasy. That shows right, right, right. he's one of that first generation of players. Yep. yep. It's so, the Norwood yeah. Rotisserie Baseball League. Any, anyway, it, it, I grew up with these guys, and Aaron is one of these guys. Mm-hmm. And we all love baseball. We all played baseball together at certain times. But all these guys, aside from me, Are almost all they're all into magic and Dungeons and Dragons. And they were into role playing and you know all that. And they they tried for years to get me involved in that, but I I never took them up on it. And, uh, yeah, and I tried I tried to get him to join just to get him out of the house sometimes. But Sean Sean will go to these conventions. You know, he'll travel you know, hundreds of miles to go to these conventions and, um, you know, it's heavy duty stuff to him. Yeah. And thankfully his wife likes to travel, so it's no big yeah. deal. Well, yeah, so. you know, I, I've been playing forever and I got involved at a, uh, uh, sort of a strange intersection of things when I was in fourth grade. Hi, Aaron. Uh, oh, Hey, Aaron, how are you, sir? I'm well, uh, thanks. How are you? Great. Thanks for taking the time today. I appreciate that. Finally, a guest who isn't in California. (laughs) No, no no offense. I don't mind, you know, just, you know, it's just different. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. I'm in, I'm in Berg. I'm in Pittsburgh. So. Okay. Yeah. The Berg. The Berg. I wondered, there was a description of rivers that I said, oh, that's Pittsburgh. That is Mm -hmm. Pittsburgh. (laughs) Right. Uh, Yeah. I love Phillips. Like how much of this is true. And I said, I think all of it is, it's just the way it's said is very clever. Yeah, well, and what was that? Go ahead. What's that? The the hypocycloids. Hypocycloids. Hypocycloids are the funky-looking stars on the side of the Steelers helmet. Yeah, it also makes up the the emblem of U.S. Steel. Steel so important, which is made because of the three colors: red, yellow, and blue, for the three types of uh, metal that are used in steel. That's right. We looked that up. Yeah, and it goes back to you know the you know Carnegie Steel days and and things like that. So the Steelers adopted a version of it. U.S. Steel has had that as their. And so, you know, when I said a city of hypo, if you're in Pittsburgh, you know what that is. Most people don't know what that shape is. (laughs) So that's that's part of the clue. I was leaving breadcrumbs along the way in my in my bio for folks, and and I tried to cast myself as sort of a chronicler of the realm of Warminster as Mm -hmm. opposed to just an author I, I the one nothing against author bios but they're all pretty much the same right here's a here's my headshot um which no one wants to see anyway <laughs> you know and then <laughs> my background here's where i went to college here's my I found you do. yeah yeah and then you know my kids and whatever and that that's it so in this case i wanted to put myself in the shoes of the realm and so i'm the chronicler of it in in that kind of way so i wrote the bio and i was hoping that you know folks would find it creative i'm glad you guys it's cool it. It is cool. So Aaron- well, one thing that I do when I'm reading a book is if I see the author on the back, similar to like um, Stan Lee and even Piers Anthony has said that um, like one or two of his characters might actually come in his image. I might cast you in the book as uh, like a, a cleric, not necessarily the hero, but the chronicler, you know, like a yeah. recurrent cleric or or something like that. Yeah, I like the so, idea. I kind of look at because it because my head puts an, a, a face on my characters. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I'm on I'm on page 392 and uh, ran up against the 
the podcast, so I, <laughs> I didn't quite finish. That's all right. Don't yeah, worry. It's really it's, that you are you are. Oh, and and by the way, that background is is his yard. Oh, that's yeah. Aaron's actual yard. Yeah, I figured as much. This is yeah. just like the cover of my book. So nice. it's not my yard. It's not as sexy. <laughs> and there's sunlight. There's raining here today. So I wish it was rain here, man. Well, and um, I think we do just before we really get started. I think we need to address the elephant in the room um, as Bengals fans oh, uh, and Steelers <laughs> fans. We need to um, we need to give unto each other forgiveness. We're putting aside our differences. for I've sworn off the NFL anyway, man. Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> Good point. Four plus years since I've yeah. paid any attention. Yeah. Well, it's still about half and half since you go ten miles outside of Cincinnati. And the and gift shop, you you can find Steeler stuff in the hospital gift shop, but not Bengals. Yeah, sure. It's literally. We were at we were at this hospital out ten, you know, Westchester, which is a little more than ten miles. Well, like away. thirty years of futility yeah. will do that. Nope. Nobody yeah. more than ten miles outside Cincinnati likes the Bengals, man. Yeah, right. Right. You said it, not me, man. <laughs> it's always, okay. We we understand. I go to the we stores are... and I turn the Steeler stuff around. So you can't <laughs> I, I do my part. He does. Yes. Yeah, so well, I, I I forgive you for your fandom. Okay. Uh, I was. If you I was. Uh, allow me to do the same. I would appreciate. It. In 1990, and I forgive these Steeler fans, but I was there as a Reds fan for the NLCS. And made the mistake of unfurling my banner in the parking lot before I got it inside. And these guys, uh, they put down the football they were tossing and came after me and dragged dragged the banner. They took took the banner. I wouldn't let go. So they dragged me around the parking lot a little bit. Um, they set the banner on fire and my Reds hat. And wow. I brought um, some of the ashes home in the NLCS souvenir plastic cup. <laughs> well, you know that we, we were snake bit and uh, I think everybody was kind of frustrated when you have Barry Bonds and Bobby Bonilla and Andy Van Slyke and Doug Drayback mm-hmm. back in the day, you know, my, my claim to, oh, I should say infamy uh, was I cracked open a bottle of champagne in my hotel or my, uh, my, uh, my apartment uh, during the, um, the Francisco Cabrera situation where they hit this ball out to Bonds and, you know, he rag-armed it into Lavalier and, and, you know, Sid Bream on like a peg leg is running from second base and scores at home. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the rumors are yeah. that Andy Vance like told Barry Bonds to move back and Barry Bonds refused to move back and he hit it over his head and, you know, we went zero for three during that streak, but we're we're spoiled. Not to rub it in Bengals <laughs> fans' faces, but like you know, for the Steelers, we're like the royal, like one, like Cowboys, Steelers, a handful of others are in that royalty thing. So I, you know, I think we are entitled to have. Are you onto your second hand of rings now? Yeah, we are. You know, but like, yeah, right, right. One, you know, we're we just you know we're entitled to have I some. Remember, bad. I remember your fifth because Bob Rinaldi kept saying one for the thumb. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, so we're yeah we're we're well on our way of filling up that that left hand now. But like they're they're the you know it just we're entitled to have one bad team uh, and the Pirates, yeah you know we're not well you know there. in 1990 I've always thought this after that series between the Reds and the Pirates that if the Pirates had advanced they would have beat the A's that year too because the National League brand of baseball was something that just hit. 
the A's, you know, out of nowhere. They did steamroll teams all year long. But then the Reds and the Pirates are both similar in that they, you know, they played small ball and they stole bases and had good defense and all these things that the American League teams with the DH wouldn't do. And the Reds were able to exploit it. So I think that either the Pirates or the Reds would have won that series against the A's. Yeah, you guys had our number, though. You know, and the bad boys or the nasty boys. Nasty boys. Or nasty yeah. boys. Right, right, right. I got that right. The 90s, yeah. 1990, yeah. 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 I was at that game where Carmelo, Carmelo Martinez hit a would, – would have been like a three-run homer in the top of the ninth, and Glenn Braggs caught it right up against the wall. Yeah. And that probably – Glenn Braggs, too. man, that, that dude had muscles on his muscles. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. eyelashes have muscles on them right yeah he's, remember when he's, he broke the he, was, he broke the bat on his shoulder on a all follow. the time on his follow-through or or, or yeah. he'd just break it with his wrists sometimes yeah it was oh. crazy <laughs> well that's man we could well, do I mean, that couldn't have involved steroids we could do an episode on sports obviously with you yes, <laughs> but, we could. yes we could <laughs> but uh why don't we talk about the book joe's book jb yeah. hilliard's Okay. The Last Keeper. Mm-hmm. And JV is yeah. a first-time author. Mm-hmm. Now, is this your first book or your first published book? This is my first fiction novel. Uh, okay. I, my, In my day job, I'm a lobbyist. I do defense and oh, technology cool. lobbying in D.C. Oh! You know, oh, so I write a lot of things in nonfiction, and I gross write them for my clients in most instances. So it could be a grant. It could be a speech. It could be policy mm-hmm. papers, legislation. So I do a lot of writing professionally. And okay. when COVID hit, um, like many other authors of this recent swell, we didn't have anything to do. Like I, DC was shut down. So I didn't have to travel. Oh, everything. Do everything works. remotely. And my wife looked at me and she said, you're just not sitting around for the next year. And I've had this novel running around in well, actually a series of novels running around in my head for almost 20 years. And it was the right time to do it. So I sat down and the silver lining for us was, you know, gave me some time to sit down and really kind of hammer it out. And I handed it to an associate professor friend of mine who worked at a community college here. And she was a memoirist and had been published. And I said, what, what do you think of this? And she said, with a little bit of coaching on on some pacing and dialogue, this is publishable. And then through a series of, you know, bounces back and forth to different editors, I finally found uh, Dragon Moon Press, which, as you can, if you can't tell by the name, is sort of a niche publisher that mm-hmm. focuses on fantasy adventure. But I think eighty percent of what she publishes is is like high fantasy, epic fantasy. Mm-hmm. The other twenty percent is traditional science fiction, um, yeah. and we just fell right into it. She said, "Look, you know, I'll take this, but you know, for fantasy novels, we typically don't just publish one standalone book. We we want to have a series. And when someone, when you earn readership from people." and they follow you, they want to see that there's going to be another and another and another. And part of that's because you spend so much time world building that you just don't want to leave that world with one, right. one book. Uh, and therefore the realm of Warminster sort of the, the series was named after it so that you can kind of follow along and, and understand that's the portion of the realm in which we're, we are focusing on in the first four novels. So it's the name of a realm and a mage, right? That's right. That's right. And, and of course, the realm is named after the mage, which comes a little bit later down the pike. You get a, this sense of, of uh, who he is and what he did and why he earned that. Uh, but uh, the realm itself, uh, uh, you know, it takes and, and frankly, I'll, I also thought of. Yeah, that's fine. Realm. I love that, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I like a lot of the names. Um, 
like it seems like the elves have kind of german inspired name names for things um spells are like latin yeah i'm glad you caught that that's exactly what i did i i reached out and into i took a page out of tolkien's book and he spent a lot of time looking at sort of scandinavian uh so in particular like finnish um and uh, norwegian stuff and so the 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 books are influenced by a lot of that i wanted to take things in the same way that jk rowling's did it for the spells and the spell system she created for the harry potter novels you know they you know the the words feel real they feel like they're sort of an old english or in this case uh, i call them you know the the conjurer's tongue uh but it's a way that it 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 has its own meaning. It has its its age and this sort of ancient feel to it. Uh, mm-hmm. But if you dig just a little deeper, you, you know, you, like you did, you scratched along the surface. You see that there's some true connectivity to cultures uh, around the world. So I've used Indian culture, Native American cultures, Scandinavian cultures, Germanic cultures, and of course, you know, English uh, yeah. stuff as as part of it. As I've kind of grown the uh, you know, these, and, and then each, each race, uh, within the realm has sort of its own background. And, and, and I think that that's, you know, I think there's a level of consistency there that makes it believable in a realm that's completely fantastic, you know, like fantastical, yeah. I mean, you know, like mystical, yeah. you know, it doesn't really exist. <laughs> well, I mean, I've, I've always kind of, ever since I've read Tolkien, um, at the end, they're talking about the elves are leaving because they're, disheartened by the mixing of the races and some of the elves actually stay and do mix with humans um and then there's the dwarves and the hobbits which are you know the hobbits are almost standalone for me with Tolkien but there's the dwarves and the elves and the hobbits and when I look at people you look at people with like slightly pointed ears um you look at dwarves or, or or little people you look at people who are particularly hairy and I kind of see the mixing of the races uh, homogenizing into what we now call human because the humans were the majority because we bred faster see for for me what I did was first I a lot of that I couldn't use because it either belonged in the you know, right. the, the rubrics of, of Tolkien or, or Dungeons and Dragons even. And so, you know, I had to yeah. break away and create my own uh, set of, of, of races. Uh, and I challenged that right away with the term Trollborn. Right. Uh, one of the main characters, Ritter, uh, is Trollborn. He's a, he's mixed raven elf with human. Uh, mm-hmm. and those folks very similar to muggles, I guess, or, or others, uh, yeah. that, you know, like mud, mud bloods. Yeah, my blood. Yeah, they 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 are often looked down upon because they are not of pure blood, and and I think that the the challenge in the novels, one of the themes uh, that runs through the Last Keeper, uh, is you've got this woman who's a Vermilion Elf, which is supposed to be the highest caste of elves, one that's closest to their ancient, their god, uh, and she's in many ways forbidden to consort with uh, people that are outside of her race, including people that are of, of trollborn blood uh and she starts to fall for Ritter and Ritter mm-hmm. is a man of duty you know right. he he's looked down upon not only because he's this border knight that the royalty doesn't like uh or doesn't respect what he does but he's also trollborn he's got two two strikes against them uh and yet he starts to fall for her 
and they both need to make choices. Like in his case, because he's duty bound not to interfere, does he choose to pursue her or does he, you know, fight this urge to be with her? And in her case, you know, does she cast away the, uh, uh, you know, the, the social fabric that has, has made her race completely how she was raised who she right. is right and, know, and, and she's and, about and, duty she's royal yeah yeah so they both have to challenge their own and decide whether or not they want to be with one another and that's of course if they survive the uh the, the series so right. uh but you know like book one is i i think you know the last keeper uh i get right into the those the those those and i, I challenge from a social perspective yeah. Uh, right. And I think I challenge it because it's, you know, it's something we deal with in real life. And I think it's something that we, you know, when people read about it, it also helps them understand different perspectives and things like that. So I thought that was important to, um, you know, any kind of, 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 of novel or series of novels. You have to have certain things that people can identify with, like overcoming struggle, overcoming social aspects yeah. or, you know, choosing duty over love or you know, forbidden love or in some cases, redemption. Uh, you'll see redemption in, in the last keeper, you know, in, in, in a variety of ways with not just the, the good guys, but also the bad guys. Do the bad guys cho- choose the path of Darth Vader and come back at the end or, or do they stay their path? Um, you know, going the opposite direction into the dark. Uh, and those are things you'll see that, that play out in books two, three, and four. Produce my second favorite fictional lumber now. The Ghostwood. Ghostwood, huh? Well, number two, yeah, number two behind that. behind Sapient Pearwood. Okay. <laughs> well, Ghostwood is. I'm glad you like that. It's uh, um, you know, the it's the beginning and what will ultimately sort of be the end. You know, if you read the prologue in the novel, mm-hmm. Ghostwood is created by this necromantic magic that drains the energy, the essence, the life out of the forest and creates the ashen hollows. And so the people that are local just call it Ghostwood because they hear the echoes of this battle um, that that had happened uh, that, you know, the villain, Great Taurus, the mad had 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 done by using this really awful magic that scarred the land permanently. Uh, and yet it's his weakness, right? It's something that you find out in the, the other novels is that in doing that, he becomes vulnerable to it. And, 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 you know, in Ritter's, you know, uh, in, in his, his family's artifact, this relic of a bow, uh, that's been left to him is, is something that eventually, you know, plays out that, that could help them in the end because it's, it's, you know, it's the, it's the blessing from the curse, right? It's that silver lining, uh, that's there. And, and the Ghostwood stuff, I just think, you know, uh, the, the last book, book four will be called Echoes of Ghostwood and that'll end the series. Uh, yeah. well, I think we're going to, we saw that battle. The in the in the poop. Yeah. We're going to see the battle. The mushroom in the poop. It's the mushroom in the poop. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Exactly. Well, I'm glad you like it. <laughs> well, I think about, you know, I, I mentioned at the top that I'm not a big fantasy or science fiction guy, but the things that do appeal <laughs> to me about science fiction and stuff are the things that parallel, you know, that have life, life lessons that are applicable mm-hmm. to reality. Or, and you mentioned like the good that can come from the bad, you know, like uh, rocket science. They designed these helmets so that they'd be able to see the characters. Do you know that the Navy now uses a modified version of that helmet? Hmm. For the Navy SEALs. Yeah. Didn't know that. 
It's interesting. Yeah. So in this case, life imitates fiction. Yeah. Didn't they say that NASA adopted things that they saw on yeah. Star Trek? Yeah. Or used them mm-hmm. as, uh, as inspiration basis, as for certain inspiration for, Yeah. Yeah. So a yeah. lot of the stuff in science fiction, like, like, like I say, the abyss, those helmets specifically that were designed were modified and improved and are now in use in the Navy. So that the, so so that the, you know, because before all you could see was this now they can see, you know? Yeah. But I think that you'll, you'll find that throughout history too. One of the things that I've done uh, for my series is I've incorporated uh, uh, an adaptation of real events in particular, some military history. I'm a, a bit of an amateur military historian. And so you'll see things like various maneuvers in the battles uh, come mm-hmm. from things that like the swinging gate uh, is something that came from the U S civil war uh, in future novels. You'll see the shield move. You said, yeah. Books, yeah. 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 And you'll see future uh, items that come from, um, you know, like w- my adaptation of Greek fire that was used in the battle of Constantinople or, uh, you know, quick line that was often used by naval, um, you know, officers to blind people on other boats so that they could, they could, they could board or they could, um, you know, distract the crowds as, as other enemies as they were approaching them. And so you'll see a lot of that stuff. I think that again, if, you know, playing off of stuff that's happened in the past, even the battle of, of Hom Hill, Blood Ridge in the, in the last keeper is a bit of a take off the Alamo, or it could be a bit of a take off of the battle of Thermopylae where, you know, a few stood against many and, uh, it was them choosing the right battlefield, uh, that allowed them to, to win over overwhelming odds. Um, and just the familiarity with, with things and familiar, familiar ground, like knowing your, you know, knowing your streets. I had a, I had a technical question, actually. What's the difference between a catapult and a ballista? So a catapult sits back and you pull it back and you put a rock or something in it. And when you uh, unleash it, it, you know, catapults it forward and throws objects at somebody. A ballista is like a giant crossbow. And so if you've ever watched Game of Thrones, for example, they're shooting dragons with, you know, something they called scorpions. That is a, a lesser version of a um, like a a, big harpooning gun kind of yeah you would fire these into castles or you would fire these into towers to break doors down uh so that your your troops could could enter and you know and so you know it's it's a just a different kind of weapon that you would have found at the fort um you know and and so what they did was they worked feverishly to repair as much as they could to use it against their enemies not knowing their enemies would know that it was coming so uh, yep Thank you for asking that, Aaron, because I was not, I did not know. And a trebuchet, that's just, is that that's just a, f- a French word? For kind of, yeah. <laughs> catapult. That, yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah. And it's, it, well, it functions, it's swing as opposed to pulling back and letting go. This, it, it has a, there's a, uh, a weight that's like a counterweight. Yeah. yeah. That pulls it over and adds additional, um, force, um, to it. So it's, uh-huh. it's, it is a version of a war machine, right? Catapult. Yep. Yeah. So you know, in fan in fantasy fiction, it's like the same lessons that you learn, maybe in a more laborious format by reading history textbooks, is imparted to the audience. Maybe an audience that would not have otherwise reached the lessons, at least. 
If yeah, not, I, I hope so. And I, I think that makes them more real and believable. I think that when right. you're writing fantasy or sci-fi, you have to have some grounding of reality, right? And so um, the NASA example from earlier is a perfect, perfect one. I mean, you, you see a lot of things that we're adopting today, like uh, cell phones. They had, you know, Star Trek, you can clip this or, you know, you you, you, you had communicators. And, Dick you know, Tracy and the Apple Watch. Right. Yeah. yeah you've got all of those things. Yeah. Or you can go back further, like Icarus, right? Like men have wanted to fly for ages and he flew too close to the sun and his apparatus fell apart. And it was because the wax melted and now we've got planes that fly. It's like, it's those kind of things where it's, it's our desire, I think, to become better, uh, that allows us to think of these things. And eventually science fiction can become science. And we're seeing a lot of that today with things like, uh, cloning and, and, and DNA. And are, are we going to find ourselves where we're creating a Con Noonian sing, you know, yeah. using a Star Trek model or, cloning in, in, in Star Wars. I mean, the Clone Wars, for goodness sakes. I mean, they've, they're tackling issues that are very difficult issues politically, socially, ethically. Uh, and then they, they put them in, so they make you face it down and saying, this is the, this is what, what, what could be the worst thing that happened. You breed a better human and all of a sudden they, they take over, right? Aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper? Yeah. <laughs> well played. Well played. That's exactly right. Yeah, and, and and shouldn't they have cloned someone who could shoot? Well <laughs> I mean, hey. yeah, right. I'm sorry, but really? D- d- yeah, Disney. I mean, if you're climbing down a rope and fifty people are shooting machine guns and miss. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying. Why don't we go ahead and stick our commercial break in here? Uh-huh. Um, we think about holograms, you know, and Star Wars, the hologram, yeah, you know, I remember Obi-Wan Kenobi, you know, appearing on the stage. Uh, so we're, Tupac. we're, we're doing, yeah, we're doing, yeah. we're doing rock concerts with holograms now, but they're predicting, um, three dimensional, like, you know, TV where you can actually walk into the set in, like, you set it up in a room and it's almost like a holographic suite. Yeah. They're already predicting the possibility of that within the next like 20 to 25 years. But what is the value of that really when you think about it? Uh, so you get somebody in a boardroom just More to make immersive. sure they got their pants on or something? No, or, TV. You know, like, <laughs> or immersive <laughs> television, I mean, basically. Really, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, for entertainment, for right. entertainment. Yeah. It's more entertainment, but yeah. yeah, it could be used for Zoom, I guess. Well, think of, think of it in, in, there's a variety of uses okay. for it, right? Which is right. why they're, they're, they're tackling these things at, at its, at its base. It's a gaming technology, right? Like right. if I can immerse myself in an augmented reality or virtual reality game by putting on a headset, and I would encourage you, if you haven't done it, read Ernest Klein's Ready Player One or. Oh, um, we loved that. I watched that. And then when I found out there was a movie, I was both ecstatic and terrified. Well, you know, and those are things. And again, there's a science fiction novel. It's dystopian, you know, at its core. But it, it predicts, again, the worst use of a technology where people are no. And the same thing with The Matrix, right? Where people people will willingly give up their lives because they were too pedestrian to become a battery uh, and and live their life the way they want to live it in this dream state. I mean, those are things that were even tackled a long time ago. Again, you see a, a lot of these things in philosophical philosophical arguments on, you know, on university campuses and things like that too. And you know, I you know I look at it and say, you know, if you have a holographic image, whether you're using it for 
you know, laser communication so I can be there? Or what if you're using it for a doctor that needs to be able to see, um, right. and I can't be there. I'm in, I'm where Aaron is, but my patient's where I am. Right? right. And now I can be in the, in the procedure or I'm there for a technology thing and I need to fix something fast, but I'm not there. But if a you put it in the front of headset, I can look around and I can see what's there and then I can tell you what to touch or yeah. If I can touch it on my screen and make it happen there. And so there's not a movie location to make it California focused again. Yeah. Yeah. You can do a lot of that, those kind of things. And if you, you know, and, and I think, you know, even though we look at it as, at its base, cause we are buying it right now because we want to put on an Oculus game uh, and watch it. And it's the next gen thing. And I think you're right. Not just Oculus, but you'll see Google glass. And, and when Apple comes out with their glasses, I think that'll really kind of, uh, blow the doors off of it, but that's going to come and it's going to come quick. You know, I, I do, I, I'm in a situation now where um, I'm working with a company called Melderverse and Melderverse is melding various metaverses together. And they've uh, licensed my realm of Warminster novels to make a video game out of it. But the video game oh, cool. will be one of the first blended reality games. Uh, and it'll take, you can do it on your phone. You can do it on your computer screen. You can do it with your Oculus glasses or some facsimile thereof. And it allows you to play games. Um, and so they're taking that augmented piece and virtual piece and melding it together. And by doing so, they're able to, to capture, you know, retail and, and commercial opportunity. So if you yeah. complete the quest in the game, I won't give away any spoiler alerts for the book for those who are interested in getting it. But, you know, if you, um, if you have a chance to, you know, to, to read the book and you play the, way game, the cheat codes. Yeah, that's right. No cheat codes, but you win the prize. You know what I mean? And you open up the, the treasure chest and in there, there's going to be things that reward your character in the game that are tradable, uh, or usable. So you get a, a weapon, uh, like a silencer, like a ghostwood bow or you get experience points, you'll also be able to get NFTs that you can trade with other players in the game uh, so you can complete their quests as well as CRTs, which is an NFT that's redeemed at a consumer location. So now all of a sudden you get half off a Subway sandwich or you get a free coffee at Starbucks or anybody that wants to sponsor the game, you win that. like a T-shirt. Right. You get to take that outside the game into the real world. And that's why it's blended reality. So I know that's the basic, that's like the Pong version of what we're talking about, like the holodecks on Star Trek. You know, they're a hundred years away, but for now. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, Let's, you know, this is our Pong version of that. If you guys remember that game, you know, but absolutely. That's, I think blended reality will drive us in that direction. I think Pong, Pong's how I knew I wanted a computer career. Yeah, there you oh, go. I, well, I was I was addicted to Pong on on sixty four. I was oh, absolutely this was, addicted. This was to just Pong. this was just Pong by itself. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was I mesmerizing. Like it's like boop, all boop, by itself. Boop. Yeah, I can't <laughs> yeah. believe that's happening. How does that happen? Look at this magic, and now right. we laugh at it. And, and you, you didn't have it. options. You could do um, you could do tennis version. You could do it's basically the same game. Soccer, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, you had more. You had more uh, men more, on one side than the yeah, other. Yeah, right. You have more lines that were supposed. More to lines, be, more more, more vertical lines to move <laughs> to move vertically. <laughs> talking about- I I kind of I kind of slowed down on gaming when my mother kicked my ass at Frogger. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so what'd you call it? The Meldiver? Mel. I'm a teenager. She's a forty. 
Meta Melderverse? Meld- That's called Melderverse. 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 Yeah, so think of melding. So if he's creating the realm of Warminster, which is fantasy oriented, so you're going to go in there and fight dragons and and sword and sorcery kind of stuff. He also is building one for sci-fi. He's also building these virtual tailgates and uh, uh, sports caves for folks that are fans and can't go to a game. Oh, but cool. Part of a game. And then the teams or the leagues or the sponsors of the teams and the leagues can reward you for coming yeah. to that. Well, I know how to remember the name now. I'll associate it with X-Files, like the Mulderverse. Yeah if, you, yeah, if you think if you think of Mulder, then you'll think of Melder. It's like melding together, like you're melding. Yeah, yeah, That's, that kind of stuff. But I, I think I put the, meld at the end before I said yeah. meta meld. No, no well, Mulderverse will make me meld. Yeah, Melderverse, Melderverse. Yeah, melding metaverses. Yeah. So, yeah, I think we all we all hear these great ideas and stuff throughout mm-hmm. life, but it's interesting how the ones that take hold and really blow up, you know, like NFTs or whatever. That stuff. I'm always late to the game, you know. I'm always five years behind the curve. Yeah, and then uh, like when ready that works that works out in the case out. of crypto. Yeah. <laughs> Is that now, Aaron? That works out being behind the curve in the case of crypto. Right, right, right. But like you, you, you were pong. I was more like uh, Frogger, I guess. Frogger is much later <laughs> than pong, right? Yeah, yeah. That, that's yeah. what I mean. I'm always behind the curve. It, it's just interesting how. But this sounds particularly. Uh, immersive you know i could see where even if you're not like a a fantasy you know you talk about the sports angle Mm -hmm. you're talking about um you know yeah it could you could make a kick-ass baseball game yeah Yeah. okay i mean there's a variety of things that you can do with it that'll allow you to do it and this is like first generation tech stuff this is like the alpha right it's not you know the thing that's you know you know point you know this is when web 3.0 happens you know, I'll ask this when I'm in, in, in front of crowds. Like, I'll always say, who here has heard of the Internet? And 100% of the people raise their hands. And then you ask people who's heard of the metaverse. And you get a much smaller, maybe 50% or less, usually have any idea what you're talking about. And that's yeah. where we were 20 years ago with Web 2.0. I mean, it was when you you were able to steal, you were able to 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 merge into the web uh, the ability for everybody to have a website. So like the WordPress of, of that web 2.0 launched it so that it was affordable and it was manageable by the average everyday person, as opposed to you being a business and being able to afford a bunch of techies to come together and build you a, you know, a, a website. And it wasn't just email. Now all of a sudden there was e-commerce going on and we're just at that point for meta commerce. And that's why you see, you know, companies like Facebook changing their name to meta because they know that's the next thing. Uh, so, you know, it's coming and that web 3.0 is going to be here before we know it. And we've already seen, I don't know if you guys do any kind of gaming, but you know, if you're Oculus, if you put that head on headset on from the first generation compared to, I think we're on four now, it's night and day different. The first one was already immersive. This one, it's nearly that you're there. I mean, it's really very we, close. We haven't to spent the money on that yet. I'm interested. It might be better. Uh, one of the things is when gaming went to the uh, thing where you can kind of see everywhere and you can turn the character, mm-hmm. I started dying in the corner face up on the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just like dead, you know, so I never, I haven't really mastered that whole, you know, 
I'd, I'd kind of like, yeah, the perspective. Three, 360 play. Yeah, right. right, right. <laughs> I, I want to be able to turn that 360 off when I'm gaming. It's kind of uh, like driving yeah. a real car. Mind you, I'm not doing like any of those interactive things where you're out there with like teams and stuff. It's kind of like yeah. driving a real car versus dri- uh, like Need for Speed or something. Or, because yeah, which I also have never played. It's much easier games. to drive a real car than I mean, people would say that it's like video game stats and sports and, mm-hmm. and it's like playing a video game. Yeah, video games are hard. It's like they're harder than real talking, life. He's looking at me, yeah. but I do not drive. <laughs> I am actually, I have a phobia about it. Yeah. Yeah. And then the night before I was supposed to, I'd already was afraid that like I was going to like, I don't know, like run over a child or something. And actually I'm more afraid of driving on regular streets than like, for instance, the highway. Yeah, because on the highway you're doing this, and people can only come from certain ways. Whereas when you're on a regular street, it's a 360 thing, and you could have a ball and a five year old and a dog and a cat and a I don't know, you know, now. coming from any direction. Well, you always got to. That's just kind of scary for me. You got to recalibrate and, your life all right. the time, just like. And the night before, video game. I also, I have a visual field defect where I can't see. Like, there's a wedge where I just can't see to the side. Peripheral it's vision. Not, it doesn't issue. have peripheral vision. A peripheral yeah. vision issue. <laughs> peripheral vision just doesn't work. So that's a part of my issue. And then, and I didn't realize that. I just felt like I couldn't see it. Turns out I couldn't see. It's been tested. Well, you got to, you got to take your life and you got to adjust your sliders down and make it more easy. The night before (laughs) I was, I took my, my driver's test for the first time and actual, you know, being the driver. And by the way, I was like 22. And then she rolled over, she rolled over a thing in the road and blew a tire and, uh, and I got mad. Because I yeah. had to change a tire at 102 temperature. You weren't, you, I didn't know you when I was 22. Get out of this story. <laughs> Let me finish it. All right. Okay. But we need to get back the to The night before I took my driver's <laughs> test, my mom kid a kid in a parking lot. Oh, wow. Which, I mean, she was literally, she was looking for a space. So she was driving maybe half a mile an hour. And to be totally honest, it wasn't that she hit the kid. It was that the kid hit her. Oh, what he did was he was running away from his mom and he ran into her car and he ended up, you know, he ran into the car and ended up on the ground. And the mother's reaction was, yeah, blah, blah, you damn kid, you, you scared the hell out of me. I mean, the mother didn't even look at my mom, yeah. but there was a security guard who came over and the mother didn't want to do anything about it. My mother's sitting there. She's shaking because this kid ran into her. She tells me the story the night before I'm supposed to take my test. So I do the maneuverability. I back over a cone and the guy says that represents a child. You ran over a child. So of course I start crying. I'm crying for like half an hour. He has to drive me home from the test, my, 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 the guy that my mom hired, because I literally can't drive. And I, I never took, I've taken the temps like 15 times. I can read you the manual. So you're scared to death. But yeah, I'm, I'm just still terrified. Well, we'll, we'll yeah. get need for speed and okay. maybe that'll mm-hmm. satiate you. I don't think so. <laughs> no. So let's, 
let's get back to Joe's book. So you got, yeah. when is your, when is your next book coming out? Cause I, I uh, you go to your website fun. and you can start cycling through and see the other mm-hmm. covers and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the next one comes out in late August, the third in the series will come out right before the holidays this year. And then the last will be launched. Yep. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. And the, the last one in the series will be launched around April or May. It hasn't been decided yet in 2023. So by this time next year, the Warminster series will all be available. Uh, yeah. And, you know, we'll see what happens from there, whether or not we, we pick up on next generation series or, or that's the end of it all. But I think that that's, uh, you know, what, 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 uh, you know, the sort of like the timeframes are for, for release here. So we're, you know, a month away, a little, a little bit more than a month away from the, from the next one coming out. So they say that the, a, a writer's <laughs> first book, and I guess in this instance, a science fiction writer's first series, series. of books takes 30 years to, to write sometimes because it, it's something they build up, build up. It's to, been in your head for 20 years. You just haven't put it on paper yet. But the next, the next uh, project, mm-hmm. you have to get it done in a year or two years if you got a publishing contract or something. So right. do you have something in mind? Are you, are you already looking ahead to your next uh, or is your job? Well, you can always just keep building out the same universe too. That's true. Yeah. So it's it's yeah, all of the above, job. right? So like we've got, you know, so so yes, I mean, just like any any person that's in entertainment, if you're if you make your first movie, there's gonna be an expectation for the next. If you're you're making your first song and you're releasing it, they expect you to release more. You know, and I think that's the same thing that holds true for authors as well. So, you know, the the concept, you're right, it did take 20 years. I wouldn't have done it if it were not for the break that we all had with COVID. You know, because I, my, my literally profession wouldn't have allowed me to to take the time to, to do what I needed to do. And now I see myself in the back nine of my career, finishing it out, being an author. I really enjoy this. I can't believe it took me as long as it did to do what I'm doing. And I, I regret missing doing that, but you know, the first 20 years are allowing me to do the next. So I'm, I'm okay with it. I've, I've come to, I've come to terms with it, but um, you're right. I mean, it did take that long. It came from. Uh, 20 years of playing Dungeons and Dragons uh, and coming up with ideas that I could cobble together and, and like weave into a story. And in and, and a lot of cases, there are some Easter eggs that are in there that for my friends that, that they'll, they'll see names of their characters or certain situations in various campaigns. Other stuff is brand new. It's things that I had just come up with based on, you know, life experiences that I've dropped in that I wanted to represent certain things, whether it's, it is a struggle or a certain social uh, aspect or in other cases, more focused on, uh, you know, cool stuff that I've learned in my profession. Like there's a, in book two, there's a city called Abacus, which is a city of free thinkers and scholars that is my version of James Bond's cube, you know, and the characters go there and they discover that there's, there's this, it's, it's, it's a way for me to drop in it's foreshadowing in the first book too. We have the weapon from Abacus. That's right. The weapon from Abacus, the, the, the Fisher's hook, which is my fantasy adventures version of star Wars tractor beam, uh-huh. <laughs> you, know, you know, that kind of stuff. So, and, and so you'll see weapons and you'll see things that on occasion give the good guy an advantage, like they do for James Bond in technology. Yeah. And that satisfies because my, I'm high fantasy. I'm epic fantasy. I'm dark fantasy. And for those that like sci-fi, that gives just a little bit of sci-fi for them where they can hang their heads on and say, Oh, I like how that he worked that in. But also, you know, for the fantasy fans that don't want to be jarred out of a universe that they, 
they perceive is is very medieval at its base, that's magical. Now all of a sudden these mechanical devices are coming to challenge that. You know, this is just enough that I think I I find the sort of the Goldilocks in there. It's not too hot, not too cold. It's just right. That's what I was that's what I was aiming for. But to the other part of your question about what's next is, you know, we'll see how successful or unsuccessful the series is. But you know what I've found is as strange as this is going to be, I get letters or emails from from readers or followers on social media that have come to me and said, you know, I really like Blue Connie. You know, they they <laughs> like his comic relief. He's or, great. Uh, I or I really really like your Boba Fett. I'll never forget this. I got a quote: Your Boba Fett is in Canis Druids. Uh, and he's the assassin. He's a bad guy. It's like, he's the guy you're cheering against. And now it's like, well, you know, I, people want origin stories on these minor characters. And so it's like, do we create those sort of backstories for each of the major characters? Like the, he's the one with the calling card of the black rose, right? That's right. Yeah. You get this, this, this thing that's dropped in. You'll find out in book three where the black rose came from and why he uses it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, and I think that people, um, you know, have encouraged me to take a look at that. I've even had people ask if they could write fan fiction on it. And I said, well, mm. let me finish the series can first. Yeah. <laughs> then, then we can talk about yeah. What's um, that? You know, can you stop fan fiction? I don't think so. You've right. already, and, and that's what I wanted to say, not to blow anything, but um, you've, you've got enough familiar that it makes me want to settle in, but you've got enough new that it makes me excited. Yeah, I, I haven't so. been this excited by a series, totally honestly, since I read David Edding's The Bulgarian. Well, in The Bulgarian, I read, again, that was when I worked at a bookstore. I, I got yeah. a free series of The Bulgarian, um, you know, back in, it has to be like the 80s. The first right? the five 80s, books. Early really. 90s, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and, and David, you know, is unfortunately no longer with us. But, like, I that know. kind of stuff, I really, you know, I, you know, I enjoyed that. That was the kind of kind of writer and author that i looked up to you know like the not just the tolkien who's like the granddaddy of them all but it's you know it's the terry brooks's the ari salvatore's the margaret weiss's the eddings the piers anthony's the asimov's those folks that you look at you're like how prolific must they be to be able to write as much as they do and in this era of quick release they have this rapid release program like you now write epic fantasy quickly like there are people out there that literally profess that in this days and age you have to write shorter novels and they have to come out quicker to build your your base and i think that might be a millennial thing a gen z thing uh just on attention spans and stuff like that that's why serials and those things are really kind of taking off but you know when you're writing epic fantasy you can't write that quickly so when i'm releasing books four months apart that is rapid release for oh, yeah. Yeah. you know because usually like be you said phil i mean it's like you're you're waiting a year for the next epic fantasy book to come, well, how long is Martin and Game of Thrones? We've been waiting years with an yeah, S, many years. You know, at the end, yeah. waiting for that to happen, and you know that just it just it's a different animal to tackle, and it doesn't match up with the new marketplace uh, as well as when it once did. I think that the keepers kind of remind me of the, maybe a little sprinkling of Philip K. Dick in there with the precogs and the and the bleeding eyes and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like, yeah. I, it's funny you mentioned that the, the keepers. So, I'll, I'll back up a, a little bit for those who haven't read it. I'm not going to tell you anything. You're not going to learn in the first in the prologue page. Of the yeah. 
but the, you know, the, the, um, the main character, Damus Alaric is a, a prophet of sorts and he belongs to a sect called the keepers of the forbidden. And he gets this knowledge granted to him by his ancient, which is my term for gods, uh, and goddesses. And this ancient Arud is a sexless God of knowledge. Cause in, in my realm, it doesn't matter. I mean, knowledge is everybody's it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, right? So you, you get this, this sexless God who's just rewarding people with the sight. Uh, and he has this recurring nightmare. His sight comes to him in the form of dreams or what would be called honoramancy, very Edgar Casey-like, if you're familiar with that uh, seer back in the uh, 1900s. Um, and Damus gets these visions and they start to becoming recurring. And in those recurring nightmares, he sees a fallen keeper, one that violated, uh, for lack of a better term, the first commandment of the, their sect, which is thou shall not use your gifts for self-betterment. Um, the fallen keeper comes comes back uh, and he sees him coming. Uh, and in this case, Great Taurus, the fallen keeper, uh, was cursed by his god, Arud. Uh, and Arud not only took his his eyesight from him, also took his metaphysical eyesight from him as a punishment for this. I was giving you this gift so that you can share it with the queens and the kings and the emperors, the empresses of the, of the realm, so that they know how to guide themselves through this turbulent time. And you used it for yourself, and I'm going to punish you, especially someone of, of you know, at, you know, his station. And so, you know, he sees this man coming back for revenge, but he's the only one of them that does. And that's sort of how the book like takes off. I, I like re- writing, and I like reading things mm-hmm. like that in in media res, where you just you're right into the scene, and there's no screwing around. I'm not taking three sentences to describe a tree. I want you to be there in the scene, feeling your heart pounding with mm-hmm. uh, the characters, and then you've got to pick it up like you just you you jumped into a, a you know a moving car. It's like what's going on, and and, and I think it does that, kind that, of build like an adventure in a D and D campaign that way, sort of too. It, you know, it's yeah. that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, we're talking to J V Hilliard. We don't say Joe. our guests' <laughs> names often enough, I think, on the no. show. So yeah, <laughs> but All right. yeah, it's been a fascinating conversation as we wind so down here why don't we um start uh, you know like aaron i know you you just very close to finishing the book you must have a yeah. few thoughts that you jotted down i would think um you said you're a professional writer it is a really well written book because i, I do i do read a lot and i always find you know typos and grammatical problems um i found Two, I got two nitpicks if you want to hear. Fire, that's what, I, hey, that's you, what you I have a, hear. you have a close quote at the end of a, at the end of a paragraph where there was no quote. Ouch. <laughs> Send that and, to me and I'll see. If I, I, I don't remember things. the page. I'll have to find it. And oh, then no the next, the next well, paragraph does start with an open quote. Uh, and right. uh, the other one was, uh, planes. PL, you, you use P-L-A-N-E-S when you were talking about P-L-A-I-N-S. Uh, that's a D and D fault, right? Yeah. That goes back to my D and D thing. And that, that should have been caught like an ethereal plane or something. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. And so my DM hat had to come off and my author cap had to come on. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I screwed that one up. So I'll take those to the bank. I'll make sure we get them over to my, my, uh, get them in the next publisher. rev. But you, you know, <laughs> the, the weirdest thing about it is I read it, beta readers read it. Uh, I've got a copy. I, of I see things people don't say. That's, yeah, I'm like, a, that, that's how I find bugs in programs. <laughs> What's that fucking semicolon doing? Yeah. <laughs> I got you. I got you. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate that. Sure. 
but yeah, still, yeah. And, those 400 uh, pages uh, ain't all that bad. You'd, you'd have that. to be a programmer to see that close quote with no <laughs> open quote. That, that, that won't compile. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will say this much. I did not see those issues in the audio book. <laughs> I, I read two or three of the chapters and I realized that I wanted to to really immerse myself in the book and one of the ways that I do that is I listen to books while I work because I have kind of a data entry kind of job and I can, and I multitask very well so um I and I, I also do want to I, I like to do both when it comes to certain books so I am going to be reading the book um, in paperback. I just don't have nearly as much time to read. Well, I mean, in paper, not necessarily paperback, but I don't have nearly as much time to read as in a book, as opposed to listen to an audio book. So I did buy the book on Audible, just so you know. Yeah. First of all, thank you for that. And second of all, I hope you enjoy the voice. The guy's name is Victor Bavine, who's my narrator. Yeah. I did. Okay. So you, uh, for some yeah. reason, I thought they were playing the PDF audio thing, but no, you actually got the audio book. So good. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, the the audio book and Victor does a lot of fantasy adventure stuff. He's the voice of Dritz Warden from the Dark Elf trilogy, uh, among others. Very professional guy. I have people that have bought the audio book just on the basis that it's his voice, uh, and I think that's a compliment to to him. I mean, he's just yeah. he's really good at what he does. But I will say this too. I'm the same way. I prefer to have a physical book in my hand when I'm, uh, I'm reading it. But because of my travel schedule, you know, you're on planes, trains and automobiles or people that are in different parts of their lives where you've got kids you're you. in your car going back and forth to work and you're, you know, and that stuff. And you could knock out, you know, a, a bunch of pages just by listening to it. And I've got people that are doing the hybrid thing. They tell me like, I'm listening to it. And then I start to read it when I get home. And then I listen to it in my car the next day. Mm-hmm. You know, And I, and I think that that's just the way of the world. I think that that because of that being available to people, more people are taking advantage of it and they're reading through listening. Yeah. And, and I think that it opens new pathways in your brain because I'm at the point now where I will listen to a book and I will picture it in my head as if it was a paper book. So when I look backwards, I can't even remember, did I listen to that or did I read it? And I mean, I know it amounts to the same thing once that you get to that point, but it it does anything that opens new pathways in your brain is good for your brain. Well, also that voice that gives it a voice when you listening. read it as well mm-hmm. i'm sorry Aaron. I, I don't i can't retain as much listening as as when i read it with my eyes for whatever reason i retain different which is why i sometimes will do both i'll go back and and read like listening to the first three chapters i wasn't able to get as much which is why i did read the first three chapters pay you know the pdf okay um because and then and Joe sent us the PDF on the book, so we'd be ready for the podcast. Yeah, thank you for that. Yes, not, thank not you. Not if you guys want paperbacks, let me know. I've got credits for audiobooks, whatever whatever okay. makes it easier oh. for you. I just appreciate the opportunity to come on the show and, yeah. and not only talk to you, but talk to your your uh, your followership. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I enjoyed, you know, I'll, I'm going to finish it in the next hour probably, but I enjoyed the first book and yeah, I'm looking very, forward to the next very one. satisfying conclusion of this book. While still opening it up to the next. I hope I, <laughs> you got to let me know when you get there and let me know what you think, because I, I had 
not mixed reviews, but there there are people out there that love cliffhangers because it draws them into the next one as long as it's available within a certain period of time. And then there are other people that don't. And there's a little bit of a cliffhanger at the end. There's a bunch of wrap up, but there's there's right. just enough of a cliffhanger that it keeps people interested. I think. Right. And that, that's that's, what, you that's do. what I'm saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's just enough to draw you to the next book while giving you a satisfaction of conclusion. Like, you know, yeah. Yeah. Now. So, uh, Lise, do you yes. have. Okay. Now I have two questions, actually. The first one is about the book and um, the the Westminster and all that. Is there anything that you would expect us to have asked that we did not? You don't know. Uh, I think we talked about a lot of it, right? You, we talked about some of the themes that were in there. We talked about some of the characters. We talked about uh, the how it was, you know, mm-hmm. derived, where it came from, what the process of writing was, what the process of authorship was, um, you know, where it's going. I think you, you guys hit on everything. You know, I think you hit the nail on the head. Okay. That's what we're fishing for. We're, we're still, I mean, we're still only a year in on this. So we want it to be conversational. We don't want it to be like, an interview interview we want interaction but at the same time we want to be good at it. well look you know if you can't tell i'm i'm ex- i speak extemporaneous <laughs> like literally you know you could talk right. about anything you want right. we were talking about the bengals for god's sake so right. like, yeah. like literally i'm i can i i'll roll with it so i'm okay thank you all right joe it's been mm-hmm. a lot of fun why don't as we close out here, why don't you tell us uh, if you got some social media websites? Sure things sure. So my website's really easy to find. It's www.jvhilliard.com. Uh, if you're looking for me on Twitter, TikTok, or Instagram, you can find me at JV Hilliard Books. And if you look for me on Facebook, you can find me at JV Hilliard. So really easy stuff to, to find out. And if you want to subscribe to my newsletter, we'll give you updates and things. You can do that on my website. And I am also pretty responsive. If you go on there and leave me a message, t- I typically get back within 24 hours to anybody that has any questions, whether it's characters or upcoming stuff or just generally they want to talk about, you know, how I started becoming an author and how, you know, what they can do. I've, I, I try to be as open as I can because people were gracious enough to pay it forward to allow me to enter this industry. And, and I'd like to do the same for them. So yeah. All right. thank you very much for allowing and me. To Aaron, any last words? No, no problem. Good luck with the series. Good luck with the book. Thank you. And I th- I'm and glad I, you like it so far. Yeah. And I know I've sort of been fangirling girling through this whole thing, but uh, I, I want you to realize that I have 40 years of experience reading science fiction and fantasy. And this is good. Exactly what I want to hear. (laughs) Yep. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. We have social Twitter. Yeah. Uh huh. Pod Instagram. Yeah. Uh huh. Pod Facebook. Yeah. Uh huh. Pod website www.yeah-uh-huh.com. So let us know. Hit us back. Have a great week.